Hi, welcome to Eurocron. I'm your host, Scott Pitney. Eurocron is a podcast where we chronicle extraordinary people and their extraordinary stories. Our goal is simple, entertain, inspire, educate, and at times humor our audience while our guests build their audio legacy. So let's get right to our next extraordinary story. Our next guest on your cron is Rafaela Gerson, a Chicago native. Rafaela does her best to get out of the city and spend time with nature. When Rafaela is not working on searches for birth families, missing persons, and old friends, she volunteers with non-returnable birds of prey, such as falcons, hawks, and owls. A single foster parent for 13 years, as well as an adoptive parent, by far the best part of her life is Rafaela's two grandsons. Rafaela is currently an administrator for Search Squad, a free locator group for adoptees, birth parents, family, and genealogy. Rafaela and I actually first connected through Search Squad and through this wonderful organization of over 77,000 members. Search Squad and Heather Madrone, my assigned search angel, were instrumental in helping me find my birth father. We will have parts of my story sprinkled into this podcast as it definitely is relevant to parts of our discussion. By the way, a special shout out to Heather, who I know is listening, and we are making efforts to get Heather on the show as well. Rafaela, welcome to your cron. Hi, thank you. Thank you very much for being here. So where is a good place to start your extraordinary story? Um, perhaps my beginning in how I got involved in Search Squad. Sounds great. Um, mm -hmm. I'm an adoptive parent. I have two children. And I have a daughter and a son. Um, my son came to me... Um, I have information about his birth parents, but we didn't know where they were. My daughter, on the other hand, knew her birth parents. We've always had a relationship of one sort or another. And when my son was about 21, he started to ask questions about his birth parents. And I tried to do some searching on my own and got nowhere. Their names are very, very common especially in, in a city like Chicago, would see they were, um, I, I found, oh, probably 40 people with the same name as his birth father. Mm. And four years ago, I found this flag on Facebook, and I wrote a post asking if somebody could help me find his birth parents. Mm. Um, I had a lot of information. I had both of their names. I had a social security number that he thought belonged to his first father. I thought that this would be a piece of cake. It turned out not to be so. It ended up that his social security number did not belong to the first father. Mm. It belonged to somebody who is possibly his first sibling. Um, I reached out to this person who denied being his first sibling denied knowing who the birth parents were, whether or not that's so, we have no way of 
finding out. In lots of cases, people deny relationships. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I don't know. This is not a very successful search, but. Um, anyhow, that, that's how I got involved. I would read posts on Food Squad. I would find them very, very interesting, and I wanted to get more involved. So I spoke to one of the administrators of the group, and I became what was known at that time as a moderator, and I started volunteering. And after a while, you start to pick up the tricks of the trade, and I became a search angel. And then an administrator myself, and now I am a senior administrator of the group. And how long ago did you discover Search Squad? Almost four years ago. Okay. So you've, uh, it sounds to me like you've moved through the process fairly quickly to, to get to where you are. Is that a true statement? Yes, it is. Um, it happened very, very quickly. Um, the group has grown enormously. When I first became a member of the group, we had, I think it was 32,000 people. And now, as you said, 77,000 in, in just in under four years. Mm -hmm. We're constantly changing the figures in, in our pinned post as to how many members we have because we're growing so quickly. And we need more and more staff. We need, we need more moderators. We need more search angels and more administration because of the growth of the group. So I became a moderator, which is now known as a facilitator. And within three months, I became an administrator. And so I became a senior administrator maybe a year ago. Mm. Okay. And yeah, that is tremendous growth. It almost doubled in that time, in that four years. And what, um, how does Ancestry and, and some of these other um, sites, uh, DNA search sites, uh, how does that come into play? To me, it seems like the more that grows, uh, Search Squad grows right along with it. Is that, a, uh, is that correct? Yes, absolutely. A lot of our searches rely on DNA testing. Mm -hmm. Many of our searchers don't have the necessary information to find their birth families. Mm -hmm. They are adopted from states where they are not allowed to get their original birth certificate. Mm. So they may have their date of birth, their location of birth, but they don't have a birth parent's name. Mm -hmm. And without that, we have not enough information to search. So we have to rely on DNA. So they might go to 23andMe or Ancestry and test your DNA. And then we look at your matches. And if they're fortunate, a birth parent is tested. And then, you know, bingo, um, we know who we can yeah, you know who the birth parent is immediately. Um, sometimes it's more difficult that they might have a second or a third or even fourth cousin who's their closest match. Mm -hmm. And then you, you've got to work with that. And that can take time. I just finished a search that took me three years to do. 
and um, it was very, very exciting when that search ended. And the woman who I helped found her birth mother, and she is going to meet her birth mother at the end of July, and has invited me to join them. Oh, wonderful! Um, yeah, she she called me up and she said, "Ross." You have been a part of this path for the last few years, and I would like you to be with me when I meet my family to join us when I go to Florida in July. So that is the plan, and uh, it's very exciting. Does that ha happen often that you meet your, your clients and their birth families? This is the first time that it has happened for me. Um, I ask the others, and, and it does happen occasionally, usually when it's somebody who's meeting in the same city. You know, I'm going to be leaving from Chicago and going to Florida, and this woman is coming from a, another state and going to Florida. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how often that happens, you know, and if people are really willing to travel or not. Yeah. It, it depends on the relationship you have with the searcher. Mm -hmm. You know, we all develop relationships with the people that we help, especially if it's a search that takes years. Mm -hmm. Some of our searches are just, you know, five minutes. And some of them take a couple of weeks or a couple of days or, you know, as this one, years. Um, and, you know, you can get to know somebody and you develop a relationship. And, yeah, you know, for me, for me personally, when, <clears throat> when the search is out, I was going to say for me personally, it was 48 hours. Um, it was, yeah, it was amazing. Incredibly fast. I was amazed. <laughs> yeah. And I think you had commented when you found out that, uh, we were in the, the contact phase, uh, I believe is what it's called where, um, and, and correct yeah. me, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it, the contact phase is you get to a point where there there really is no more searching to be done until there's contact made uh, to verify yeah. what's been found. Is that it's correct? Contact pending. And I remember I, I approved your search mm -hmm. and I knew that it was going to be fast because of the state that you live in and how many search angels you have that, that work in that state. And I, I told you that it would be, you would get help pretty quickly and somebody picked it up immediately and then the next thing I knew it's the contact pending and I was just amazed I think I said to you already <laughs> um I, I couldn't believe it oh Heather is is awesome she she is she really, really is. good and just a besides her search skills she's she's a great person and so can't can't say enough uh, about her and, and you and just the organization. And uh, I got to say, <clears throat> so if there's anybody listening, thinking of doing this, um, I'm, I'm a bit of a skeptic, especially when something says free. I'm like, oh, okay, what's, <laughs> but search squad is, is absolutely free. And it's amazing because of, I, I don't know, to me, it's, a, it's the equivalent of hiring a private detective, which is, very expensive, I would imagine. I've never hired one, but I'm sure it's very expensive. But the work that we you do, get yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, please. Um, we, we get a lot of searchers who come to us after having hired private investigators. Really? And they have spent 
thousands of dollars and gotten nowhere, and then they come to us, and we solve their searches for free. And we are all volunteers, and we pay out of pocket for databases that we use. And we do this because all of us have been touched by adoption in one way or another, and we care. We believe that people who have been adopted have the right to know where they come from, the right to know who they are. And, you know, we do this from our heart. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we all have, people have jobs and families, and we take the time to do this to make sure that people get the knowledge that they deserve to have. Mm-hmm. But about six months ago, we, we had a young woman write that her sister had been missing for 18 years and could be helped. And I posted that, and within a half an hour, a woman who was a member of our group who, who had used to be a search angel, and she is now again, but at that moment she wasn't, she sent me a message and said, Raffaella, I have some information for you, and she had found the grave of this missing woman. And I had to inform the family that this sister was deceased, and I gave them the information about her death, and gave her then the contact information for the sheriff's department for the town that her body was buried in and they were able to get closure that they needed, you know, after 18 years of not seeing this sister daughter. Um, That's incredible. You know, I, I can't even imagine what it must be like to have a child and a sister missing for 18 years. I can't and either. Then, but what a relief, like you say, for the closure. Yeah. To get the closure. Absolutely. Yeah. It brings up a lot of other questions, though. Why were they never informed? Because the grave had for men, the birth, as well as the grave staff, by. No. That's a whole different podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it brings closure, but then also uh, opens up some other... More questions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's... Um, for my, my personal case, you know, it started um, uh, a few years back, around 2011. Actually, before that, when I <clears throat> tried to search on my own, uh, went to the genealogical library in uh, Houston and uh, (laughs) went through a bunch of microfilm and did find my original birth mother's birth record and then, you know, got online and tried to do some stuff on my own. And I was adopted through Catholic Charities. So um, Catholic Charities, you know, they wanted 500 bucks to to give you an envelope, which has Mm -hmm. the information that your um, birth mother wants to leave for you. And so after exhausting all the internet and going uh, through the stuff that I found, I went to uh, Catholic Charities, scratched a check for 500 bucks, got my information, and then uh, there were a couple of names to contact, and, and I did, and uh, just kind of 
fast forward through that story, uh, found out that she, she passed away in 92 of colon cancer. So I never met her, but the, the whole, the whole reason that I did it, <clears throat> cause I, I, you know, my parents were my parents. I mean, I, I was adopted. I was pre-picked, you know, and went straight from the hospital into their home. And that's all I ever knew. Uh, th those were the only parents I ever knew. And they were fantastic, great parents. They, they both passed away, um, back in 2010 and 11. And, uh, but you know, the, uh, <clears throat> I just never really thought of, of looking for, um, my birth parents until I talked to another guy that, um, found his. And when I asked him why, he said, well, I wanted to create a, a medical bridge for my kids. And I thought, wow, it's mm -hmm. not just about me. I never really thought of it that way. So that's why I started my search. But, but then after, um, I closed the chapter on, on finding my birth mom and it was good that I did find she, she passed of colon cancer because that gave me for, for myself. I told my doctor that and he said, well, you need to get colonoscopy every four years instead of five. And, and your kids, you know, your boys, they, they need to start when they're in their early forties. So that was good to know. Um, but, um, but then, you know, fast forward to a few more years and then ancestry comes out and I jump on there to search for my birth father and, and for the pretty much the same reasons, but I'm a little more curious now and I'm like, well, I'm halfway there. I just want to, like you say, close the chapter. Right. And, uh, got on Ancestry and, and nothing much happened on, on there. In fact, I almost quit my membership. And then, cause I had nobody on my birth father's side, except people from the 1800s that, you know, didn't really help in the search. But then a person popped up, uh, Emily, that was a first cousin, first removed, it said. And, uh, and she was adopted as well, looking for her birth parents. And I said, well, I've got something in common with her. And uh, so we started to communicate and, and my wife, LaVon, she, she's really good. She's an engineer, so she loves details. She has the patience to build the family tree and, and all that with the ancestry. And um, she and another woman named Sharon um, and Emily began this three-way conversation, um, mostly by email. And Sharon is the one that said, have you heard of Search Squad? And so Emily was the one that jumped in first. And uh, you all found her mom. I, I don't, I don't want to get this wrong, but it was, it was very quick. It was just a matter of, of a few weeks. And, and uh, coincidentally enough, Heather was her search angel as well. Wow. <laughs> and so then uh, after Emily uh, found her mom, you know, a few weeks later, I decided to do it uh, to sign up a search squad. And, uh, and for anybody that's thinking about doing this, uh, don't make the mistake I did. So when I first got on there, I'm not a detailed person. So when I first got on there, I didn't thoroughly read the instructions about how to become a member. And so I ended up waiting about a week and I said, no, I haven't heard from anybody. And I contacted Emily. I said, Hey, what's going on? So, well, no, they contacted me right away. I said, well, I must have done something wrong. So sure enough, I went back through the process, which wasn't hard. It was just an oversight on my, uh, on my uh, part. And it was just in a, a matter of uh, minutes, really. I got an, uh, a message from you and um, from Raffaella. And, and, uh, and then you connected me with Heather. And then, uh, and then um, shortly after that, I found my birth father. And, and it wasn't just... Um, finding him 
you know, Heather helped me with writing the letter, uh, what to say, you know, just the whole process too, because obviously the search angels have done many of these. Um, most of them I would, I would think. And that, that is almost just important in the process is, is knowing how to approach your, your birth parent yeah. that has no idea you exist. You know, that's kind of a big step. So, uh, anyway, I just, uh, I wanted to interject my, my story just to give everybody a little, little background of, uh, of my experience. And, um, yeah, it, it was just, and it's been wonderful. I mean, I, I met my birth father, Jack and, and, uh, um, it's been great. Uh, I've got siblings from him and, uh, and so we're uh, we're actually all getting together for the first time. I've, I've met Jack in person a couple times, but I'm meeting his other three siblings this weekend coming up. So it's uh, another special time for us. That's very exciting. We'll be right back. Today's episode is sponsored by Pitney Properties. Pitney Properties provides real estate services to buyers and sellers located in and around the Houston area. Having been raised in Texas, LaVon Pitney is incredibly well-versed in the area's housing market and always manages to find her clients those hidden gems that other agents tend to overlook. LaVon's relentless style and integrity allow her to hold client satisfaction at her highest priority. She works hard to make the entire home buying and selling experience as is productive and enjoyable as possible. Whether her clients are first-time buyers or seasoned investors, LaVon works tirelessly to accommodate their needs and exceed their expectations. To learn more about LaVon's real estate services, please don't hesitate to call her today at 713-805-8871. That's 713-805-8871. Or contact LaVon at soul at pitmanproperties.com. Of course. When, when you met your birth father, did you find that you have that you had a lot of things in common? Did you have similar interests that you did not have with your adoptive family? Did you find that you had similar mannerisms? It is crazy how much we have in common. Yeah. We okay. So he's uh, Jack's eighty three. I'm fifty six. Uh, so that's our difference in age, but, um, it was very, I got a very good feeling getting to know him. Cause I like, this is how I want to be when I'm 83. He's got a lot of energy. He's got a great sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> he's got some great stories. He's a musician. I'm a musician. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, we just, uh, you know, every time we talk on the phone, it's, it's for, you know, a good 45 minutes to an hour. And when we get together, we, we just, we had the best time. I mean, the, the connection felt or feels so natural. It's, it's really amazing. It's really amazing. I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by, by this. 
the, the nature versus nurture kind of thing because I hear it so often from people who, who will say, I always loved basketball, but the family I grew up with were artists or violin was my life, but the family I grew up with had nothing to do with violin, but my adoptive family are all musicians. Mm. Uh, you know, things like that, or, you know, I always, you know, had this type of mannerism. And when I met my adoptive or my birth family, everybody in the family did that as well. And now I know where it came from. Yeah. I find that just absolutely fascinating. And I did as well. And, and, um, and then to hear other people like my wife say, you know, um, you, you have right around this part of your chin and your eyes and, and, you know, you look a lot like him. And then I've saw pictures of him when he was younger and a lot of physical similarities as well. But, um, what, what's more intriguing to me is just the, the connection. I mean, it just, yeah. it just felt it was immediate. And it, and even before, you know, part of the process of, of connecting with Jack, um, that, that Heather coached me through was to send an envelope, uh, with a letter in it. Um, and, and just basically a no pressure kind of letter. Hey, here's what I found out. And, you know, uh, here's my number and text or call if, if you feel like it basically. And, uh, and it, he did, I mean, immediately he texts me and, and the first time on the phone I was going, man. And, and I told LaVon, my wife, when I got home, I said, I hope he is my dad. Cause it was between him and, and, uh, actually, uh, his brother. And, uh, I, I said, I really, and, and I never did, uh, con uh, have any contact with his brother, but I said, I really hope it's Jack. Cause he's really cool. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> and it was, so. That's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. And it must've been an incredible feeling. Yes, it was. And still is. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really happy for you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so Raffaella, if someone decides from listening to this uh, podcast or is inspired to search for their birth family, what are some ge general steps you would recommend to them? Well, they should apply for their non-ID, which is a non-identifying information that they can get from the agency that they were adopted through or from the state. Um, every state has different laws. So some states you can get your original birth certificate mm -hmm. as well as your non-identifying information. And the non-identifying information have um, information such as your mother was 18 years old and a high school graduate who wanted to be a nurse. Your birth father was 6'2 and played basketball. His father was a lawyer. His mother was a teacher. That type of information, you know, he had three brothers. It, it will have information on, usually, on each of the birth parents and maybe their parents and how many siblings they had, their interests and health issues. And sometimes we're able to find people from non-identifying information. Mm. If you're fortunate, you live in a state where you can get your original birth certificate and then you get names and 
we have databases, we can look up those names and hopefully find those people. So, so when somebody is looking, we ask for them to go to the state and get their non-identifying information. And if it's a state where you can get your original birth certificate, please do so. Mm -hmm. Those are necessary. Also, the state has an adoption reunion registry. Register with that registry and also search the registry in case somebody is looking for you. Mm. That's good. And you Ancestry DNA, that's the DNA company that we suggest because they have the largest database. Mm -hmm. More people test with them than with other companies. And after you test with them, you can upload your raw DNA, MyHeritage, and Family Tree DNA, and um, Judd Max Genesis. Um, so you've got all of these other sites as well that have your DNA. So you get matches from all of those sites, and if people have tested with those sites, you get those matches. Good to know. Yes, I did that as well. Um, uploaded the raw DNA for, for Heather, for my case. Um, so those are general steps for somebody that is looking for a birth family member. What about somebody that may be interested in being a volunteer for Search Squad? What What are some things We're looking they for people going who, who have been members of our group, who are familiar with how we work. Uh-huh. Um, we're always looking for somebody who can be a facilitator and a facilitator is somebody who watches to make sure that the rules are being followed, mm -hmm. um, who helps to post information that is necessary on our post. Um, we're always in need of those. Um, to become a search angel, which a lot of people are interested in doing, you need to have search experience. You say and you, you once do you have need... that experience, you start out becoming a search angel intern, and you see how well you work, mm -hmm. and eventually become a search angel. What, when you say you need to have search experience... Um... Yeah, you can't just come in and say I want to be a search angel, but know nothing about search, searching. Okay. So, you know, a lot of people have done ancestry and they have found their birth parents and then maybe they've done it for a friend or another relative and it's become a hobby and they enjoy doing it and they want to become a search angel. Gotcha. So they can become a search angel intern with us and mm -hmm. work searches through our group, and then become a search angel. Hmm. And yeah. then there are people like me who I became a facilitator and a moderator. Facebook used to call it a moderator, but then they changed it to facilitator. So it's kind of confusing. Um, and and I watched and, and I spoke to the search angels, and um, I became a search angel. It took time. Mm -hmm. And... Then you need to get databases. 
mostly indecisive. Um, there are free databases, but some of them are subscription. Right. And, um, do you have a, a system? Yeah. Do you have a, a system within Search Squad that Search Angels work together? Hey, I found this uh, that works very well. We do. This, yeah. We we work together. Mm -hmm. You know, I might be looking for somebody and and I can't find some type of information that I need, and I'll get into our we have a, a group for the people who are Search Angels, and I'll say, you know, I'm looking for this person. And I can't find any record of him since 2012. Does anybody, can anybody find something about him? Mm. Because we all have different databases. You can't afford all of them. Mm -hmm. Or somebody might know of a search engine that I don't know of or I'm not familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also, a lot of it is thinking outside of the box. Mm. Um, I found somebody once because the last name, was, it was a Polish last name, with it ended with C-Z-Y-K. Mm -hmm. And many years ago, I dated a young man whose name ended with C-Z-Y-K, but I kept confusing it and doing C-Y-Z-K. Mm. And so I was looking for an adoptee, and I had learned his last name, and I couldn't, I just could not find him in present day. I had found him as a high schooler playing hockey for his school. I had pictures of him from the newspaper playing with his school, but I could not find him in present day. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I searched and searched one afternoon for hours and hours. And then I started to think about this old boyfriend of mine. And I thought, maybe it's myself. Hmm. And I turned the letters around the way that I used to misspell his name, and <laughs> I found him that way. No way. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, crazy. You have to think outside the box sometimes. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep, keep on keeping on. So if somebody's listening now Rafaela that's like, yeah you know I kind of want to do it but I have some reservations about finding whoever um what what are some common concerns or reservations that that some of your clients have going in that that maybe you can kind of put their mind at ease or well I think that people have reservations out of fear, and people are afraid that they're not going to be accepted, mm -hmm. or they're afraid of what they might find out. Mm. They're afraid of hurting their adoptive family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's... And those are all valid fears yeah so it sounds to me um, like it's a soul searching kind of thing it's really I, I know for me you know i guess i had a natural curiosity always there was always kind of an underlying curiosity but it, it just didn't pop up in my mind much much it, but but then when that guy said you know medical history man i was like 
oh, okay, now I got a reason. That may have just been justification. Maybe I wasn't willing to admit I had a stronger curiosity than I did. I'm kind of diving deep into my own psyche, but you know, I, I still think about that sometimes. But um, to your point about maybe hurting your adoptive parents, uh, my both of my parents were alive the, when I met this gentleman, and you know, I, I came home uh, or went over to visit with them, and I suggested it that I might, you know, be interested in doing it, and why to, to uh, get the medical history. And, and man, my mom, I just looked at her face, and I'll never forget it. Oh, she did not like hearing that. She was just, it, it just broke her heart and then it broke mine. And so I just shelved it after that moment. <laughs> I was like, no, okay, no, I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. But uh, it was after they passed that, you know, I moved forward with it. Well, they're all different, I guess. I think my, my son said to me about two years ago, he said, you know, mom, I think that you're more interested than I am. Mm. And so then I stopped looking. Mm -hmm. I said, you know what? Maybe you're right. So I'll stop. And if you ever change your mind and it becomes important to you, let me know. And then I'll be doing research. But a, a couple of years ago, I was having a manicure and there was a woman um, getting a pedicure and she was having a conversation with somebody sitting next to her about her grandchild who had been adopted. And she was furious because her grandchild wanted to find her birth parents. Well, she doesn't need to do that. She's got her parents, and why would she do that and hurt her parents? Mm. They're her real parents. Right. Um, and, and she was livid. She has no reason. Hmm. And, and I tried to explain to her how everybody has the right to know who they, uh, how they have the right to know who they came, where they came from, who they look like. Mm -hmm. who, who shares mannerisms and interests with them. And nothing I could say back to her. And finally, I looked at her and I said, what are you so afraid of? He loves you. He knows that you love her. This has nothing to do with you or against you or your children. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and she just stared at me and but nothing I could say got through to her, but I think it's just her own fear, which, which I kind of get. Mm -hmm. You know, if she meets them, will she love the other grandmother more than me? Maybe that's a part of it. Yeah. Yeah, there's they love their birth family more than their adoptive family who have taken care of them and loved them for all these years, so they'd be more important. Yeah. There is definitely a huge unknown on the other side of where the answer lies. And uh, it's understandable, understandable to be afraid of, of uh, facing that. But um, would you say overall, overall, are there more happy outcomes or more of the other kind of outcomes? <laughs> <laughs> this is a question what I've wondered about. Okay. My very first search uh -huh. um, that I did, I don't know if going by. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I hear a little something. Raphael is in, in Chicago. That I did. 
Yes, go ahead. Sorry. When we found the birth mother, she threatened the searcher and said, if you contact me or my children, I will call my attorney mm. and see you for harassment. And I think I, in a way, was more devastated than the searcher because it was my first successful search. Oh my gosh, what a way to start. And um, I was so excited that I found this first parent. You know, I was very new at this. And this is how she reacted. And um, it was pretty devastating. It did end up having a happy ending. I'd say more are happy. But there are a lot that are sad. Yeah. I, I also see a lot that have reactions that are initially where the birth family wants nothing to do with the person who was adopted. They do come around. People just need time. Hmm. You know, the adoptee has had time thinking, I'm going to search. You know, like, like, you know, I wonder where I came from. I wonder who my birth family is. I'm going to search. Yeah. And we do the search, and they've been thinking about it and um, pondering this question. And then all of a sudden, the birth family gets this letter or this phone call or this email, and it comes out of nowhere. Hmm. And, it, and it's a shock. Yeah. And sometimes they just need that time to think about it. So the first reaction might be anger. Perhaps their spouse doesn't know that they had a child that they gave up for adoption. Their other children don't know that this happened and they are afraid. What, you know, what will these children think if they know that I had a child and I gave, gave this child up for adoption? How do I explain this? And they're so afraid that they just say, leave me alone. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Yeah. It also depends on, on the, the era. You know, women who, who were pregnant in the 60s and 50s and 60s, there's a, a great book called The Girls Who Went Away about these girls who were sent away to, to these homes for unwed mothers, and they were treated horribly. They were told that they were sinners. They were told that they were bad. In many cases, they never saw the children that they gave birth to. They gave birth to babies were taken away. They never got to hold them. Sometimes they weren't even told the birth of these children. You know, you, you have this baby. It's best for you not to see it. Don't ever think of this baby again. You'll have other children. And that was it. Yeah. And so then this child comes back 40, 50 years later and brings back these terrible memories of how they were abused in these homes. Mm. And they tried to forget about it because it was so terrible and they were told how horrible they were. Maybe it's the only way they know how to respond. Yeah. Um, so my particular situation on my birth mother's side was entirely different than my birth father because 
um, when I opened that envelope from Catholic Charities and contacted a couple of the people that uh, it was her brother and her sister, and uh, her mother was actually still alive. I actually met my grandmother on my birth mother's side before she passed. Um, oh. Yeah, and uh, she uh, she told her mom about me, and and that was it. And so um, everything else was, was written on the paper. So I, I contacted uh, one of her sisters and her brother, and uh, she had a child before me. So I had a half-brother, and then she had two twin daughters after me. I've never met the twin daughters. I met my birth brother one time. I, I spoke to my birth uncle a couple times. Um, but on that side, it's... it's um, just a couple people that I stay in touch with, uh, one of her sisters, and then basically uh, her kids, and then, a, and then a cousin. All that's to say that, um, uh, I, you know, kind of this is my theory anyway, that they were not n near as accepting. And, and this was before Ancestry. And in fact, um, I was even questioned by a couple of her siblings, you know, are you sure one even asked me are you sure your your birth certificate the date's correct because it's something it doesn't add up and i was like well yeah i mean it's a texas birth certificate i, I would you know i was just a little taken back by the question but um and then it got back to me that that uh you know there were some other people that just could not accept that my birth mother had this kid uh, and, and they just weren't accepting it. They had a lot of, it was my understanding, they had a lot of reverence for my mother. Um, she was very smart. She was a Mensa, I was told. And uh, everybody just loved and respected and adored her. And, and they just could not accept it, that she has had this child, some of them. But uh, some, you know, like, like I said, there was a couple, her sister Sandra uh, and Jimmy, very, very sweet people accepting from day one even before the ancestry stuff came through and then with jack my birth father's side it's been complete acceptance from everybody it's it's been amazing it's been it's been wonderful so two different experiences from two different sides <laughs> yeah not uncommon mm. yeah so um rafael i I know that search squad service is free, although uh, nothing is, is truly free. I mean, the, the volunteer work that you all do is, is amazing. Um, what I'm, I guess I'm getting at is, is somebody maybe, you know, volunteering, uh, being a search angel isn't their thing. Are there some other ways that people can get in, involved to, to help contribute to search squad? They can donate. Ancestry tests um, that we then forward to people who need to have them done and we can't afford them. Um, if you go to our site on Facebook, there is a link, um, a PayPal link, mm -hmm. in order to do that. I don't have that offhand. We'll uh, put that link in the show notes on our uh, website, yeah. on the Yurkron website. That's good. I, I had no idea. That's a donate um, money towards those kits. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Great idea. So what, um, great. yeah, no, that, that's wonderful. That's good to know. Um, so let's uh, shift gears a little bit if we can. 
and tell us about your volunteer work for non-returnable birds of prey. I guess, first of all, what does non-returnable birds of prey mean and what sparked your interest in, in this type of volunteer work? Well, when I was 25, I saw a movie, Snowman and a Falcon, and there was a falconer on this, in this movie. And I decided that I wanted to be a falconer. But it just got me. But I live in Chicago, um, and it wasn't something that was really easy for me to do. But I kind of thought about it throughout my life. And about a little bit over a year ago, I was in Scotland. And on the streets of Edinburgh, somebody allowed me to, to hold a bird, um, a bird of prey for four pounds. And they handed me an owl and I handed them four pounds and uh, held this bird for a few minutes. And I asked this woman, do you have any falcons? And she replied, I will bring one tomorrow for you. And I went back the next day, and she had a falcon for me, and she didn't charge me, and she just handed me the, the, a glove with a falcon, and I held a falcon for about a half an hour, and she spoke to other tourists, and I decided when I go home, I am going to become a falconer. And when I returned home, I got off the plane, and the first thing I did when I got upstairs was get online and look into how I could become a falconer. <laughs> and I found the Great Lakes Falcon Association and spoke to somebody and learned that it really wasn't as easy as I was hoping um, because I live in a condo and I don't have room for a, an enclosure for a bird and I need to find somebody who I could work with for two years lives in my area and wasn't that easy. However, the Great Lakes Falcon Association was having a dinner two weeks from that time, 20 minutes away from me. And I went to that dinner and heard about this wonderful organization called Wings and Salons. And they work with non-returnable birds of prey. And I went out there the following week and so what they were doing and they work with birds that either have human imprints on them which means they were um, most of them were taken from their nest because somebody thought oh what a cute bird what a beautiful owl I want that to be my pet and these owls didn't learn how to hunt or care for themselves mm -hmm. so they can't be returned into the wild because they would be prey to another animal or bird mm -hmm. um and you know they wouldn't be able to to get food on their own or we have birds that have been injured and they are um they can't hunt anymore um these are not birds that can be um their wings are broken they can't be fixed um so we take care of them we have nine birds right now. We've got uh, falcons and hawks and owls. And I was trained for two months, and now I go out once a week at least. And work with these birds. I do a lot of cleaning. I walk with them. I fly them. Um, 
I do things that I never ever in my life would have imagined that well at one time I never would have imagined I would do, such as put up mice and save mice and see birds and um, and rats and dead quail. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is so cool. How long have you been doing this? I've been doing it a year. Wow, you're you're yeah, and you're up to birds. nine birds already. That's that's a lot, it seems like. Yeah. Wow. Exciting. What's it your personal really favorite is. out of the falcons, hawks, and owls? What, what, probably the falcon, since that's what you, kind no. of inspired. No, okay. It, it, people ask me which bird is my favorite all of the time, and mm. honestly, it's whichever bird I'm working with at the moment. Mm. Um, my makes... favorite thing to do is to fly the birds. I think of the wingspan on owls. Yeah. I think it, and, and it just, it must've been a little frightening the first time they landed on your arm and you feel all that oh, wind. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. I, and those big claws, that is uh pretty cool. That's very cool actually. Yeah. Well, Raphael, yeah. this has been an amazing conversation conversation. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Well, thank you. It's, um, it's really fun for me personally to, to have so much personal interest in, in, you know, this organization, uh, search squad and, uh, and everything that you do and that you, you personally were the first one that, um, contacted me from search squad. So it's, it's been an amazing experience and a privilege to, to interview you for, um, for my podcast, your cron. Um, so we get to our what we call our legacy question on your cron, which um, is if in, say, 50 or maybe even 100 years from now, someone is listening to this recording, even perhaps a distant family member, what do you want them to remember about you, uh, your life's work, or, or anything in general, Raphael? Did I make a difference? Just that my being here wasn't wasn't for nothing. You know that that I changed things in some way. Those are uh, very humble and few words that I can personally say you have made a huge difference in many people's lives, and uh, and now birds can be added to that. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, it's uh, it, it really is uh, an honor to talk to you, and and uh, I can't thank you enough for um, for what you've done for me, and uh, and uh, and I'm sure I speak for many of the other seventy seven thousand members of Search Squad. <laughs> so we'll put all the information on the Eurocron website, how to get in touch with Search Squad, and uh, Rafaela, thank you so much. And, uh, thank been you. Wonderful.
Hey everyone, Scott here to let you know about a special promotion we're having at Your Quan. We are looking for companies that would like to advertise on our podcast. So we are offering advertising space at $25 per podcast. That's only 25 bucks to have your business on a podcast episode. That means every time the episode is played, people are going to hear about your business. And your commercial stays on that podcast forever. So that's a great deal, right? So if you're interested, email me, scott at yourcron.com. That's S-C-O-T-T at Y-O-U-R-C-H-R-O-N.com. Scott at yourcron.com. I would love to hear from you. Bye.